The Book of Boba Fett is Disney's latest live-action Star Wars show, and one of the most common complaints about the series has to be this. Every single time, Boba Fett has the chance to take care of one of his enemies, for some reason, he chooses not to. That's right, the Book of Boba Fett takes one of the galaxy's most feared, most brutal bounty hunters and makes him all bark and no bite. I mean, what gives? What happened to Boba Fett being awesome? Why doesn't he go for the jugular? And what caused this sudden change of heart anyways? Now, I don't have any answers to any of these questions, and sadly, Neither does the book of Boba Fett as a TV show. I found it to be pretty unsatisfying and boring, as much of the internet did as well. But at any rate, this sudden and surprisingly merciful side of the dreaded Boba Fett came to mind as I meditated on the much different and much more amazing story that we just heard this morning from the first book of Samuel. The story where David, sort of vaguely like Boba Fett, completely shocks everyone and chooses not to kill his enemy, King Saul, who seemingly has been delivered right into his hands. What is he waiting for? Why didn't David just take care of his enemy, Saul? Well, unlike Boba Fett the bounty hunter, who really has no good excuse and no believable motivation to show any mercy whatsoever, David has a very good reason not to take Saul's life. As the story goes, David and Abishai, David's close relative and military commander, they steal quietly into Saul's camp by night, and there they find the king asleep and totally defenseless. Abishai sees this as an opportunity, and he leans over and he whispers into David's ear, God has delivered your enemy into your grasp today. Let me nail him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need a second one. Abishai is sort of like all of us bloodthirsty Boba Fett fans. We want to see the bad guy pay. We want to see David do what everyone expects him to do. Strike his enemy down once and for all. And this would seem sort of justified, at least in a very worldly sense. After all, Saul has been trying to kill David for quite some time now. We hear at the beginning of our story today that Saul had assembled 3,000 picked men of Israel to go out with the specific intention of finding and killing David. All of this despite David's sincere devotion and deep loyalty to Saul. Think back to the time when David was a very young man. He alone volunteered to go and take on the terrible giant Goliath, when Saul and all of his greatest champions were too scared to do so. Time and time again, David risked life and limb to try and advance Saul's cause as king and ruler of Israel. He defended him and stuck up for him over and over and over. This is not the first time even that he spared Saul's life. But all the while, 
Saul grew more and more envious of David's success and reputation. He heard the people singing David's praises. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And unfortunately, as he heard all of that going on, Saul just could not bring himself to celebrate with David. So he instead tried to wipe him off the map. Now with all of that bad blood in mind, imagine this opportunity. David has a chance to put a stop to all of the madness. There's the king right there in front of him, sleeping like a baby. But David responds instead with mercy and with profound wisdom. Do not harm him, he says, for who can lay hands on the Lord's anointed and remain unpunished? That's the key. That is David's motivation. He understands that it is simply not his place, not his right to take the king's life. There's something much bigger at work here, something deeply sacred. The Lord anointed Saul in his providence as the legitimate ruler over Israel. And whether or not he was a good king, it didn't matter. To violate that would be to violate the Lord himself. And that was not something that David was willing to do. His own heart, we hear, was after the Lord's own heart. So he shows mercy. He holds back. He has pity. But he also wants Saul to recognize what could have and perhaps even what should have happened. So he takes the king's spear and his water jug and he goes across to a remote hilltop, right, where Saul can't can't get him. And he says, he cries out, he says, Today, though the Lord delivered you into my grasp, I would not harm the Lord's anointed. This is a sort of restraint that is simply supernatural. It does not make sense from a worldly point of view. Boba Fett would not have done that. But let's take a step back and be really honest for a moment, because isn't this what God does with us every single day? Isn't this how God treats us? Because we've all sinned, we've all at some point or another made ourselves enemies with the Lord. And to be perfectly blunt, are we not within God's grasp every single moment of every single day? Right now, even, we are totally defenseless before the Lord. Are we not much like King Saul, sleeping, exposed, and sort of unaware of all that God could justifiably, according to strict justice, bring upon us. And yet the Lord, like King David, shows us mercy. Our psalm this weekend puts it best when it says, not according to our sins does he deal with us, nor does he requite us according to our crimes. Over and over and over, the Lord refuses to simply destroy us without giving us a real chance to repent and turn back. He holds back his wrath and says instead, See, my mercy has spared your life. Will you not accept me now? Will you not surrender and give your entire life over to me? 
I am very happy to report that we are not sinners in the hands of an angry God. No, we are sinners in the hands of an infinitely merciful Father. Look how far Jesus was, going, was willing to go in order to spare our lives. He died for us while we were still his sworn enemies. He loved those who hated him, even to the point of pouring out all of his blood for them on the cross. He freely laid down his life for atheists, for heretics, for those who work for violence, those who give scandal, those who have committed the ugliest and most shameful sins, for the greedy, the lustful, the envious, the lazy, the proud. That is who Jesus chooses to spare. He did not come to save righteous or perfect people, but the worst of the worst. If Jesus came only to love those who already loved him, what credit would that have been to him? Even sinners can do that. But God proves his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this death is supernaturally effective. It changes the entire game. As our psalm puts it, as far as the east is from the west, so far as has he put our transgressions from us. This is why Jesus implores us in the gospel today, stop judging and you will not be judged. Stop condemning and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Jesus is not telling us to accept everything under the sun or to pretend that sin is not sin or to affirm every bad choice that our loved ones make. No, he's telling us that by the free gift of God's mercy, we have all been generously and undeservedly spared. That is the sheer insanity to the world. It is a stumbling block. It is a scandal. The world wants to cancel people, right? Jesus does not. It reminds me of that great scene from the Lord of the Rings. You didn't think you'd make it out of this homily without a Lord of the Rings reference, did you? You know me better than that. It reminds me of that scene from The Lord of the Rings, where Frodo Baggins wishes the horrible creature Gollum was dead. It's a pity Bilbo did not stab that vile creature when he had the chance, he says. And then Gandalf wisely replies, pity? It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Pity and mercy not to strike without need. And then Gandalf delivers this zinger. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Frodo's reaction was pretty understandable. I think it's our knee-jerk reaction as well. Why waste so much energy? Why risk so much for broken, twisted people? Why show so much pity, so much divine mercy to pitiless and merciless human beings? And yet that is the love that God has shown to poor sinners, poor little golems, poor little Sauls like us. This fact of God's mercy should wake something up in each of us. It should shock us, and it should cause us to sincerely ask, Lord, why have you bothered to spare me? 
Why have you loved me so well? Why have you been so kind to me? Why have you not chosen to bring about swift and strict justice? I'm not worthy of any of this mercy that you have chosen to show me. When we humbly turn to the Lord in this way, Jesus is sure to respond with the same challenging invitation that he gave us in our gospel. Be merciful. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. That's the heart of Christianity. Because because we have been forgiven, we can now find the courage to forgive. Because we have been spared, our lives were forfeit and yet they were spared, because of that we can now turn and actually really spare the lives of others. So I'll end this homily this morning by asking, who do you still need to forgive in your life? Who is it? Who has hurt you? Who is God inviting you to spare? Because our own healing and our own redemption hangs upon whether or not we are willing to become merciful as our Father is merciful.